KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzay Torah, welcome back. And today is Wednesday, and in this summer's man, the Wednesday share will be given by Harav Moshe Tarragon, a share on ethical character, Midot, ethical attributes and character, Harav Moshe Tarragon. There's a very interesting tradition throughout Jewish history of situations in which particular mitzvahs had become almost neglected or ignored. And individuals, not just communities, sometimes communities respond and um, recover, reconstitute certain awarenesses that had eroded. Um, we witnessed this in the return from the second, from the Galas Bavel to the first base of Mikdash, where intermarriage had become popular, and Ezra, those who returned, sort of collectively rebuild a notion of Jewish pedigree and Jewish marriage. Nehemiah, at later, later stages of the return, tries to rehabilitate Shabbos observance. But, but these seem to be, so to speak, social movements, communal and national movements spearheaded by particular prophets. But in more recent memory, there are situations in which mitzvahs had become neglected or even lost, and particular individuals championed the rehabilitation. One interesting story about the smug, Ben Emotion Mikutsi, the Sar Mikutsi, who wrote the very famous Sefer, Sefer Mrs. Gadol, and in his day, tzitzis had fallen out of um, popularity, had fallen out of practice. Tzitzis technically can be avoided by um, formatting clothing in a manner which doesn't obligate tzitzis. Uh, there are four corners in the classic sense, Arminicus to wear Taliskatan, to assure that we'll fulfill the mitzvah of tzitzis, even if our standard or conventional clothing may not be suitable towards tzitzis' obligation, but tzitzis had become neglected, and he tried to repopularize and rebuild consciousness. Um, in a more modern context, of course, many people are rediscovering, or they feel they're rediscovering, the lost die of Tchelas, which doesn't recover tzitzis, but certainly rehabilitates and revamps some lost components of the tzitzis. Um, so the Chafetz Chaim felt that one of his tasks, one of his challenges, was to rebuild awareness of the lost art of Lashon Hara. Not, of course, the art of speaking Lashon Hara, but the art of avoiding or regulating human speech in avoidance of Lashon Hara. And he wrote several svarim, and one of his gifts was he was a, a really elegant writer, he had a very common, simple, and understandable writing style, which, in turn popularized the Mishnah Brewer. The Mishnah Brewer was never written as a final psak halacha. It was written as sort of a summary of all the achronim that had been assembled surrounding the Shulchan Aruch over the past couple hundred years. And it's just a way to simplify, but because he was just such a clear writer and, of course, a, a tremendous halachic authority, so those two combined to lend the Mishnah Brewer disproportionate, so to speak, weight within the halachic landscape. Many people today paskin according to the Mishnah Brewer because it's so easy and so organized. So he wrote many svarim, many pamphlets, addressing particular issues of the day, um, the, the great and grave issue of Jewish conscription in foreign armies and Russian armies and European armies and how to navigate halachic observance within those conditions of duress. But two of his most famous svarim is, of course, the Sefer Chafetz Chaim and the Sefer Shemir Salashon about the general importance of Lashon Hara, and a Sefer actually trying, attempting to landscape halachic regulations about Lashon Hara. When I say attempting to landscape it, because Lashon Hara, by definition, 
cannot be concretized halachically. There's very little by way of Gemara and Rishonim. There's a Gemara in Bava Basra, a parallel Gemara in Erechin. But by definition, the halachic machinery is really incapable of describing a precise and accurate set of halachos because Lashon is very dependent upon context, it's very dependent upon um, situational mechanics, about how a concept was conveyed, about what the expectations are, about the body language, about the intent. So it really is impossible for the halachic process to accurately um, demand specific halachos regarding Lashon Hara. And because of that vagueness and that, so to speak, uh, nebulous nature, it was never fully codified, it was never dealt with at the same degree that other areas of halacha were conscientiously arranged. And the absence of a strict and precise halachic tradition invited, and of course not just the absence of that tradition, but the, the difficulty of the Isser itself and the difficulty of avoiding it and the common, the common nature of Lashon Hara lent to abuse and even neglect. So the Chafetz Chaim wrote two Svarim, one called Shmira Salashon, one called Chafetz Chaim. The first Sefer, of course, uh, describing the importance in general, citing Chazal, citing Midrashim, more of a Musser type of approach. And the second Sefer, at least attempting to configure a halachic system of what is appropriate, what's inappropriate for Lashon Hara. And he single-handedly rebuilt awareness amongst the Jewish community towards the Yisr of Lashon Har. He named his, his Svarim, and of course he, he became known as the Chafetz Chaim, based on the Pasuk in Tehillim, Mi'ha'esha Chafetz Chaim, Ohed Yalim Le'erostov, Nitzol Shen Chameros, V'secha Medaber Mirma, a person that desires Chafetz long life, wants to live a healthy and productive and socially harmonious lifestyle, a person who guards his tongue against evil, against slander, or against deception. Again, the Pasuk in Tehillim doesn't precisely address Lashon Hara as opposed to other forms of ber- verbal assault or verbal manipulation, but he applied the term Chafetz Chaim to his Sefer, and he became known for history as the Chafetz Chaim. Um, evidently, I think when he was 80 years old, he made a birthday party for himself, and he invited many of his colleagues, some of the other Gedolim who lived in Europe. And he spoke at this birthday party and he sort of introduced the concept that you're probably wondering why I'm arranging a birthday party for myself and inviting my peers. It doesn't really seem like a very Jewish thing or certainly not a decision that a person, a scholar would take. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a common practice. He said, because I've dedicated my life to this crusade, of building awareness about the importance of Lashon Hara regulation and about the reward which is promised, Ohev Yamim Lirostov HaChafetz Chaim, that sensitivity to Lashon Hara abuse will yield, both as a reward as well as a result, a long life of uh, health and fitness. And now that I've reached the age of 80, you see that it's really true. So this is not a birthday party for myself, but it's really an affirmation of my lifelong mission and in honor of this growing awareness towards the Isra of Lashon Hara, this is a party which, is, which honors that and sort of reaffirms that. The Rambam describes the Isra of Lashon Hara and distinguishes between two obvious, very, very different aspects of the Isra, one he calls Rechilos, based on the Pasuk and Kedoshim, which I'll relate to 
and one which he calls more classically Lashon Hara. One Isser pertains seemingly innocent statements, statements which are not um, which are not invective, which are not derogatory, which are not derisive, which are not meant to uh, literally attack a human being, his integrity, his performance, his value system, but which may be secrets that a person wishes to be concealed, he told you in confidentiality, or other types of stories which inherently may be innocent, they're not derogatory stories, but which told to certain people or in certain contexts or with certain agendas can be very, very debilitating. This is the Rambam refers to as Rechilus, based on the Pasuk of Lasselech Rachel. And the Rambam describes a separate aspect of Lashon Hara, which is, of course, at least in the Rambam's view, more severe. The Rambam's second prohibition he refers to as Yesh Avon Gadol Mizeh, even more severe than the Isra of Rechilus. He Bechlal loves it, but it's part of the Isra, although it's a more severe expression. A person who may be speaking truth, but is um, directly attacking or assaulting another person in the sense of evil talk or evil speak as opposed to contextually damaging conversation. So the Rambam describes two different expressions of the Yisr, one which he refers to as Rechilos, one which he refers to as Lashon Hara, and perhaps even describes a third element, a third aspect of Lashon Hara. The Rambam concludes, Avol Baal Lashon Hara, Zeshiyoshef V'Omer, Kach V'Kach Asaploni, Kach V'Kach Hayu Avosav, V'Kach V'Kach Shamati Olav. The Rambam may be describing a third phenomena called a Baal Lashon Hara. At least the Chafetz Chaim understood it this way in the case of Mishnah, understands the Rambam this way, someone who is not just a casual speaker of Lashon Hara, but a person who becomes addicted to the entire process of Lashon Hara, which the Rambam refers to as a Baal Lashon Hara. In his introduction to um, Shmiras HaLashon, as the Chafetz Chaim tries to explain the severity of Lashon Hara. And indeed, in the Gemara and Erechin, there are some seemingly hyperbolic statements that Lashon Hara is worse than all the Averos, and it's worse than Gil Arroyo, Shvichos Damim, and Avodah put together, and Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't admit a Baal Lashon Hara into his presence. So Chafetz Chaim tries to understand that certainly Lashon Hara can be seen as an Avera, and perhaps more... Um, more um, hurtful and perilous than some of the other Averis, but why should it be granted such a severe status? Why should it be seen and described in such severe methods? So one of the Chafetz Chaim's responses is that Lashon Hara is a gateway or a portal to so many other areas of Ben Adam Lechavero in general, and certainly aspects of verbal Ben Adam Lechavero. It plays a similar role, so to speak, as we have to the Recha Kamocha. You have to the Recha Kamocha by excelling in Ahavasreya, a person will naturally lead, will naturally um, create moral interest and ethical behavior, which will yield the entire world of Binad Mechavera, the entire positive world of Binad Mechavera, which is why Rebbe Akiva referred to the after the Rechach as a Klagad Batar. It's not just an important mitzvah, but it's a gateway. By excelling in this area, a person can almost uh, guarantee success in other areas of Binad Mechavera. The Chavetz Chaim lodges the same claim about Rechilos and Lashon Hara. In fact, 
the Isser of Lashon Har appears in the same section in Kedoshim that Vihaftal Recha Kamocha appears towards that same concluding Pasuk of Vihaftal Recha Kamocha, suggesting that it has a structurally similar role to Vihaftal Recha Kamocha in that it facilitates. Um, facilitates and catalyzes in a positive sense opportunities of and and Lashinara may in fact invite or um, enable further verbal abuse in the limited sense. Lashinara could be embarrassing to someone, so it will include Malbim Pene Chavero. Lashinara could be spoken against people who are vulnerable, against orphans, against Almanos. Lashinara can bleed into Sheker, can bleed into Anas Tavarim. And in a secondary sense, the impact of Lashon Hara can create the type of social discord which will incite revenge and Nitira, people holding grudges and machlokis and all sorts of secondary impacts of Lashon Hara. So the Chavetz Chaim's first assumption is that Lashon Hara is this gateway to so many other dangerous areas, both of immediate verbal uh, crime or secondary social instability that it merits such severe, almost exaggerated statements in the Gemara and Erechen. But another comment he makes, and this is something which is um, reaffirmed by the Orchus Chaim, is it's habitual, it's addictive. It's addictive because it's so slight and subtle, people aren't aware of its criminal impact, of its magnitude, and it's addictive because, by definition, um, there's a certain psychological joy in, in sort of speaking about others, and perhaps... Um, um, at least on a psychological level, the Chaim lodges this point as well. A person who speaks about others almost inherently or instinctively um, aggrandizes his own position by belittling other people through storytelling, through slander. There's almost like an instinctive sense of supremacy. It's a very, very unholy sense of supremacy, but nonetheless, that's what makes it so addictive and so attractive. It's hard to perform tshuva, again, because it's so slight and subtle, and because the victims may not be obvious, may not be approachable, may be too embarrassed to approach them. So it's not just the function of Lashon Hara that renders it so chief and cardinal, but it's also the addictive nature of Lashon Hara. Um, very often, one story, one act of Lashon Hara will almost mandate subsequent acts of Lashon Hara, I'll talk about this a little bit later, to maintain a person who tells Lashonara is obviously looking to achieve some agenda, to um, belittle one person, to elevate another person. There's a larger calculus very often to Lashonara, and that calculus may be multivariable. It may not be achieved through one spoken story or one spoken form of Lashonara. So when the Rambam describes this third category, not just the person who is Holech Rachel, who um, barters stories from person to person, even though they may be true, and they may not be inherently inherently derogatory. And the second category is a person who utters Lashon Hara, who directly insults another human being, even in a truthful sense. Obviously, this discussion um, is additional to the possible Isser of Sheker, much of Lashon Hara, maybe judgments and observations that may border on Sheker. So, along with Lashon Hara, the prohibition of Sheker may, uh, may accompany. But this third area of the Baal Lashon Hara, a person who is addicted to Lashon Hara, it's a very real and imaginable situation. Interestingly enough, when the Torah describes the Isser, it employs the imagery of Lo Telech Rachil. The base Pasuk, Lo Telech Rachil Biamecha in Parshat Kedoshim, 
to describe the varieties of Lashon Hara. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the Rambam splits Lashon Hara from Achilos. They're not necessarily the same. But textually, it all stems from the Pasuk of Lo Selech Rachil. Why does the Torah employ this very indirect imagery to describe Lashon Hara? Rashi, in his commentary on the Pasuk, associates the term Lo Telech Rachil. He believes that the Chaf of the word Resh Chaf Yud Lamid Rachil is interchangeable with the letter Gimel. So Rachil can also refer to Regel. A person who speaks Lashon Hara is similar or comparable to a spy, to a Meragel. This year is being recorded during Parsha Shlach, which is, of course, a Parsha which exhibits great sensitivity to the dangers and witnesses the perils of Lashon Hara, the Meraglim were guilty of a very unique form of Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara targeting not an individual, but targeting a concept, targeting a gift of Eretz Yisrael, and um, their failure to heed the lessons of Miriam, the first Rashi in Parsha Shlach, notices the juxtaposition of the story of Miriam and Aharon to the story of the Meraglim, and reminds us that Lashon Hara is not just um, perilous because of the detrimental impact upon the victim of Lashon Hara, but ultimately because of the moral corrosion which it causes to the actual speaker of the Lashon Hara. Right? Eretz Yisrael didn't suffer, so to speak, the Lashon Hara of the Meraglim. Eretz Yisrael wasn't impacted in any way. Of course, Am Yisrael's entry was delayed 40 years, but that doesn't. there's no person with emotions who is being insulted or in any way belittled but the Meraglim themselves, um, um, the Meraglim themselves, by speaking such Lashon Hara, introduce, both into their own lives, as well into the lives of their constituents, their princes, a level of moral uh, reprobation and moral failure, a reflexive moral disintegration, which um, they're punished for, and they're barred entry into Eretz Yisrael. So Rashi in Parshas Kedoshim notes the parallel between the word Rachil, Lotelech Rachil, you shouldn't be a peddler of stories, and the word Miragel, the interchangeability between the Chaf and the Gimel, and each stems from the common etymological and conceptual root of Regel, a person who is a spy, as well as a peddler, they walk from place to place. A spy walks from place to place to gather intelligence, to gather surveillance, and a peddler, whether he be a commercial peddler or a peddler of Lashon Hara walks from place to place to share his stories. And the association between Lashon Hara and Lotelech Rachil ultimately begs the association between Lashon Hara and spying. It all comes from the word Meragel. You shouldn't be a spyer of Lashon Hara. According to this first Pshad in Rashi, then, one of the aspects of Lashon Hara one of the more subtle aspects of Lashon Hara, which this Pasuk evokes, is the furtive and secretive nature. A person who speaks Lashon Hara, a Holech Rachil, is similar to a Holech Ragel, a person who is a spy. A person who spies wants to perform his actions in indiscernible and secretive fashion so that he isn't discovered and that his intelligence gathering isn't compromised. He isn't arrested. Part of the the, the criminal nature of Lashon Hara 
is that it's secretive, is that it is disrespectful, it's that there's a inherent secrecy from others, a lack of honesty, a lack of openness, beyond the impact of the spoken, hurtful comments, there's a general air of manipulation, of conniving, of concealment, which Lashon Hara is both born from and itself Lashon Hara fosters and reinforces. The interpretation of Onkelis to the term Lotelech Rachel, Lotechol Kortzin. Kortzin means to wink your eyes, and Rashi explains that evidently people who would exchange stories about others would tend to eat together in specially designed meals, perhaps secret underground meals that wouldn't be noticed, and even if they were overt and recognizable meals, there were certain gestures and signals that were exchanged between speakers of tales and recipients of tales, and those functions could perhaps um, um, could perhaps change. A person would be a speaker and then a recipient, and they would wink at one another, and while they were eating, they would exchange sort of secret messages about other people. So one of the areas of Lashon Hara which the Torah is highlighting, again, and, and thereby trying to spotlight beyond just the obvious impact of hurting another person, of dealing a blow to their reputation, to their agenda, that there is a manipulative, secretive type of lifestyle. I spoke before about the addictive nature of Lashon Hara, but there's also a, an addiction to being secret, and lack of honesty, lack of openness, lack of purity, that speaking tales, of there's a person you've spoken a tale about, and you've withheld your truthful intention about that person, and that person may feel that you are a supporter, and you may be a subverter. The person may feel you're an ally, you may be a foe, and it's almost as if you have to be double-faced. Lashonar introduces a level of echad bepeh echad belev that's unhealthy to normal moral existence. Um, but there's, I think, a second element that this image of Rechilus evokes. The typical interpretation of a Rachel has nothing to do, of a Rochel has little to do with a spy. A Rachel is a peddler, and by associating Lashon Hara with a Rochel, with a peddler, the Torah may not be tracing it back to a spy, it may just be highlighting the common areas of experience between a peddler of goods and wares and between a peddler of stories. Why a peddler? What makes a peddler unique? Why is Lashon Hara described or, or linked, associated with a rachel, with a peddler? A peddler earns a living by understanding, sensing, he's highly sensitive and perceptive, but he understands that people are different, that needs are different, and that one person's trash is another person's gold, And people have different needs, and in a healthy way, I mean, hopefully in a healthy and financially necessary and vital way, he exploits and he channels that understanding so that he delivers the proper goods to the appropriate people. He's able to choreograph and coordinate interests that are different. Lashon Hara shares some of that... um, understanding of people, and to a degree, manipulation, engineering, or almost choreographing of people. I spoke before about the secretive nature of spying. Independent of the secretive and furtive nature 
of Lashon Hara. There's a manipulative element in telling stories about human beings to other human beings, which is always part of a larger calculus. Very, very seldom is Lashon Hara isolated just because a person vents his anger and just tells a story. There's always some plan. There's always some broader equations and broader interests which Lashon Hara serves. And it serves that interest, especially if it is not Lashon Hara, as the Ramam describes, by speaking something overtly negative, but Rechilos, in the general sense, just bartering stories, which may in one context be positive, but in a different context be very debilitating and very dangerous. And the speaker of Lashon Hara, like the peddler, sort of sets people up calculates their various, varying or various interests and agendas and in a very manipulative way tries to engineer human relationships by the stories he tells, by the expectations he sets, by the impressions that he delivers. And obviously a, a peddler in a commercial sense hopefully can perform his task with honesty and integrity, with fairness and equanimity and peddling may be a, the backbone of any healthy economy. But that image, when transplanted from the economic context to the human context, is a vulgar and and pathetic, almost, image of treating human beings as commodities and recognizing their psychological and social needs and serving those needs and calculating one need against another. There's a very interesting Gemara in Bava Basra, Kuf Samach Dalet, one of the Gemaras that speaks in general about Lashon Hara, Mentioned, you shouldn't even speak positively about someone. So the Gemara justifies this restraint of not speaking positively in a very, very practical sense. If you speak positively, then the discussion will be open, so to speak. The genie will be let out of the bottle. You'll be speaking about an individual, and who knows, maybe the conversation will veer towards more negative conversations. So don't speak positively so that you shouldn't arrive at negatively influenced statements. But one can imagine the Gemara's interest against speaking about people in a much more fundamental sense. Do you speak about people? Now, obviously, you want to speak about people when it is directly beneficial to their interests. You want to honor them. You want to increase their reputation. You want to serve their needs. But what about just speaking about people in a sort of idle, mindless way? Supposedly, Eleanor Roosevelt once commented, and it's a very interesting comment. I'm not sure if it's hers, but it seems like something that she was merely citing. She said that small minds speak about people. Average minds speak about events. Large minds speak about ideas. And to what extent is Lashon Hara fostering both small-mindedness, speaking about human experience, human behavior, not just the problem of Lashon Hara, but it introduces a voyeuristic element, which we are clearly facing in our own society, a pornographic element where we're riveted on the lives of other people rather than on ideas which their lives may represent, but we are riveted, we are enchanted, almost intrigued with lives even without any values or meaning. The entire epidemic of celebrity. People are interested in, so to speak, individuals not because they contain any content or intelligence. They've performed actions or feats worthy of our admiration, of our emulation, simply because they dress louder, or look better, or speak louder, or more criminal, or more, um, 
more extravagant in their behavior, and somehow we just become intrigued with their lives. Much of the entertainment industry today, both internet and television, functions on a voyeuristic experience of looking in on people's private lives rather than looking at art. We become fixated with reality, a voyeuristic reality. So speaking about people certainly cultivates that interest. But aside from the voyeuristic element which it cultivates, it also cultivates a, a lifestyle where you talk about people. And talking about people may itself be, according to the Gemara and Baba Basra, according to this, uh, based on this imagery of Rechilos, itself an area of moral discomfort or moral um, crime, unless that speaking about another person's life is geared towards, as I said, incrementing or enhancing that other person's life, or perhaps in a constructive manner to speak in flattering ways so that certain values will seep into your own consciousness, into your own moral experience. So it's that second association. Again, Rashi's association is not between Lashon Hara and peddling, but between Lashon Hara and spying. And peddling is the word Rachel, so to speak, uh, is almost like a catchphrase for Miragel, for a spy. So Rashi sort of captured the secretive and undercover element of speaking Lashon Hara. Um, I think that the direct association between Lashon Hara and Achilos may evoke may highlight a second area of moral danger, the manipulative, calculating, almost pre-planned agenda that Lashon Hara always serves, or is part of, either overtly or subconsciously. The Gemara Erechen on Daftazayin actually mentions a very different, one could say even more casual form of Lashon Hara. It's not pre-calculated, it's not mendacious, it's not pre-programmed to accord with some larger interest or agenda. The Gemara speaks about a Mitzara, who Chazal mentioned. The Torah, interestingly enough, does not mention Mitzara or Tzaras as a punishment in the aftermath of Lashon Hara, but Chazal associates the two, and Miriam's experience serves as the pivot of this association, Miriam receiving Tzaras for slandering Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Gemara Erechen questions the Karbanos of a Mitzara. Mitzara brings some two birds after his Tara, after his purification process. Amar Bihuda ben Levi, Manishtane Mitzara Shamra Tara Yavishtetzipurim Tara Tal. Why is Mitzara so different that he offers two birds and the birds are set free up in Yasadah? Samar Kadesh Barchu, so Hashem is instructing the Mitzara, and by instructing the Mitzara, delivering a social message beyond his own personal experience. Who also masa patit? His mouth chirped with lashon hara. He, he arrived at his penalty of tzaras through lashon hara. Masa patit, chatter, chirping as a bird. The fikach amratara yavi korban patit. He should bring birds and live birds at that to sort of capture that chirping mechanism, that chirping experience. The imagery of lashon hara through chirping is very different than the image of Lashon Hara through peddling. Peddling carries that heavy, pre-calculated, predetermined engineering situations to your favor and to other people's detriment through spoken stories of Lashon Hara. The tripping of a bird describes a very different phenomenon, just idle, mindless, uncontrolled, almost um, unintentional 
just filling the empty space of silence with idle chatter, which inevitably, inevitably um, meanders or wanders its way to negative, either directly negative or contextually negative, the, the rechilos of the Rambam or the actual Lashon Hara, Misaper Bignes Chavero. And sometimes we're very careful about this more dastardly, more severe, more pre-calculated form of Lashon Hara. We won't share a meal in the imagery of Unklus. We're not going to sit down with other storytellers and share negative, belittling vignettes about our friends. But very often, though we may be restrained and careful about that form of Lashon Hara, we'll find ourselves lapsing almost mindlessly into just conversations that aren't regulated, that aren't, that just sort of idle and nonchalant and very casual. And there's a casual form of Lashon Hara, which the birds, the Tutsi Parim of the Mitzara, are trying to remind us about. Hu Asa Maase Patit. This speaker of Lashon Hara performed an act of chirping. L'fikach Amratara Yavi Korban Patit. One final image of Lashon Hara, which isn't obvious necessarily, but evoked by an interesting phrase in Parsha Shlach. The Meraglim were Motzie Dibas Haaretz Lira'a. Again, I mentioned earlier their Lashon Hara was non-conventional. It wasn't spoken about a living and feeling emotional human being who may be hurt or, or insulted, emotionally affected or otherwise affected by the Lashon Hara. And here the object of their Lashon Hara was inanimate with the land of Eretz Yisrael, and yet Lashon Hara is morally dangerous in a reflexive sense for the speaker, and in this case the speaker in their communities and not just the victim of Lashon Hara. But the term Motzi Adiba Sa'aretz, and in general, the Chet Tamaraglim, they saw an empirical truth. Uh, There were giants, there were armies, there were fortified cities, there was large fruits. Their their real Chet lay not in what they saw, but how they interpreted and what they focused on. They focused on the potential, the incredible fruits and incredible strength that this land produced, and that strength can be channeled by Am Yisrael reclaiming its natural heritage and national heritage and and recognizing this land as unique and, and, and promised and divine because of the experiences they beheld and the residents which they met? Or did they harp on the negative and the fear and the panic and the potential for disaster? And they can't be blamed for what they saw. Gershwin and Kalev saw the exact same reality, but they can be blamed for how they interpreted it and the spin which they placed upon it. And this term, Motzi'e Dibas Haaretz in many ways captures that they, they were looking for the negative. Motzi'e literally means that they, they publicized, they promulgated the negativity of Eretz Yisrael. It may also stem from the term Limtso. They also found, obviously, the Vav is displaced. In, it, it moves, it migrates towards the beginning of the word. If the word is motzi to promulgate the Vav is in the beginning. Motse may be a little bit different, maybe to find, but they were looking for negative. They were searching. They were predisposed, pre-inclined as people to find the negative aspects of this challenge rather than witness the entire opportunity, both negative and positive, provide some objective feedback and perhaps inspire people to claim 
the potential, the positive potential, rather than be saddled and paralyzed by the negative. The same type of phenomena, people who are looking for negative, who are harping on negative, may be indicated by Lashon Hara, and as everything may not just be indicated, but be fostered by Lashon Hara. And this is a very interesting statement which the Ochre Sadikim lodges in his description of Lashon Hara, that beyond all the socially and morally dangerous aspects of Lashon Hara, the impact upon others, the moral decay, the secrecy, the manipulation, the exploitation, Lashon Hara reflects a person who has a negative approach to life, its experiences, and his colleagues. Everything in life is a mixed bag. Everything in life is complex. Nothing in life is either all positive or all negative. It all carries potential as well as a challenge and frustration, the potential for frustration. And the person who speaks Lashon Hara trains himself to negate, and before he negates, he has to locate the negativity in order to negate. And that will spill over, that will bleed not just into his interactive life, but even his personal life, his own agendas, his own dreams, his own optimism, his own prospects for success. So the Lashon Hara speaker, not just the Maragnum, but the the, even the interpersonal Lashon Hara speaker is guilty of motzie diba, of both locating and amplifying negativity. And as with every moral danger that will circle back and consume the individual, because once trained to negate potential and to harp upon negativity, that type of attitude will consume and poison even personal experience. It'll turn them into the opposite of an ayin tova, of a kind-hearted and generous and optimistic individual into the ayin ra classified or characterized by Bill and Harasha.